I believe that you and I live in a very, very, very interesting world today, especially if you're looking to find that someone special for your life. From the man who wrote the book on human behavior, a special edition, Richard Flint Podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's talk human behavior. I had dinner with a young man last night, 38, single, 10 years ago, was engaged, but it fell apart at the last minute, and it hurt him. And so what did he do? He retreated into a world where he is absolutely punishing himself. And I asked him, would you like to find that special person for your life? And he said, yeah. He said, I'd like that. I said, well, do you put yourself in environments where you can find them? He said, no. He said, my life is, I get up in the morning, 5.30, I get ready, I go to work, I come home, I have a drink, and then I play video games. And I said, how in the world are you going to find somebody if you don't reach out? He said, well, I've tried several avenues. I just don't know how. And this was key. I don't know how to date. There was a time when dating was so easy. You met someone, you dated, and you got married. I believe that things today are a little different. Yes, people still date. People still fall in love, get married. And then an interesting thing happens for many. The marriage doesn't work. Now you have people who are hurt, people who are scared, people who have been out of the dating scene for quite a while. And they're not sure how to get back into that dating scene. Where do you go to meet someone? (laughs) How do you rebuild your dating skills? How do you keep yourself from getting hurt again? So many that I've talked to want to talk about the fear that goes with dating again. Their emotions are filled with the pain of the past and the fear of the future. What's the answer? Ah, the answer is the growth of online dating services. I mean, they're everywhere. The dating scene has changed, and we need help. That's why I have invited Kimberly Kohler. Hey, Miss Kimberly, welcome. Hey, Richard, thank you for having me on. Yeah, and you are in Minneapolis, correct? I am. Whoa, what a place to be. It is a wonderful place to be. Hey, Kimberly, is my assessment of what's happening today, is it correct? It is. Um, One of the points that you had just shared with the story about the gentleman you had dinner with, um, you pointed out that he doesn't know how. And it's more of he doesn't know what to do. And I think you pointed out something that's very, very common that I see in singles um, today is that he got hurt. He's afraid of getting hurt again. And he's not pushing himself to be out there. One of the common things that I say to a lot of my clients is that You know, you're not going to drive along magically and have the person pop up that you want to date or be in a relationship or you're going to marry in your your passenger seat. It's not going to happen. You have to be deliberate and and go out there with intention in actually going to meet somebody. And the fear of getting hurt again or the pain of a past relationship or the confusion of all the different options on how to do it actually end up being roadblocks for people. And they don't go out there and they end up 
very adapting a life of a solitude where they either um, hang out with their friends or they simply go to work and maybe go to a happy hour after work with people from work and then go home. And that becomes their life and that becomes their, their ritual. And it becomes very lonely and a lot of people get frustrated because they don't know what to do or where to go. You know, Kimberly, this young guy I was talking with last night, he was telling me about the fact that you know, he doesn't like to go out to the bar or go dating, and he's very much of an introvert, so he has this fear of dating. Do you find that sometimes once they've been through pain, that fear really becomes their whole thought process? It does. For men, fear of rejection. Men hold on to and think about often they don't want to go to the bar scene because they don't want to talk to somebody because they're fear of being rejected. And in a guy's mind, that is the only place for them to go. For women, it is a fear of being hurt. So it's fear that prevents them, but it's a different fear. Um, labels. So guys will say rejection, which really is just being hurt. In women, it's a fear of being hurt and getting their heart broken, which really tends to be more about trusting and a fear of being of willingness to be vulnerable. Well, wow, that's a huge step to open yourself, especially if you've been hurt. Would you agree sometimes that they have people to talk to about their hurt? They have other girls or women that they talk to. But sometimes when they're talking, it's more of a bashing than it is looking for a pathway through their pain. Yes, women have a huge social outlet. So for a woman, maybe it's just one very close friend, but a lot of times women have several friends. And they do. They go on bashing brigades is what I call them. And they are looking to more just vent. And they're looking to just put it out there. And they're looking for acceptance with their friends and agreements um, with their friends. And their friends usually, even if they don't agree, will support and just back up the position of the person who is talking or who is venting and who has pain. Rarely does a friend actually give them advice or help them work through the pain and give them a roadmap, if you will, um, that will lead them to either overcome or break through the fear and pain that they're feeling. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I'm a firm believer that when we're going through pain, the majority of people, not everybody, but the majority of people, men and women, go looking for someone who will make us feel good about what we've been through rather than helping us understand why we went through it. I would agree. Because I think a lot of times when we're feeling pain, we want to feel good. But what we end up doing is just adding layers and masks versus actually getting down to the heart of what it is that we're feeling and why it is that we're feeling and actually working through it and getting to the other side of it. So what happens is, I think especially um, with women, if you're sharing in a social circle, you're getting that moments of being pumped up. For guys, I think it's more they generally don't sit down and go to the bar with their buddies and talk about their dating life. They'll talk about sports or other things, but they rarely talk about their dating life. I actually have a client of mine who is a twin. Both him and his brother are single, and they have never, ever, ever talked about their dating life. They don't know what's going on in each other's dating life. They don't know how they feel. They don't know um, whether they're dating or not. 
they have no idea and they live together. And it's very, very interesting because their lives are very entwined. Um, and so what's interesting is, is that it's more of an avoidance, I think, for guys and they don't talk about it. And I think that they try finding other types of activities to make themselves feel better. Where with women, it is more of a conversation. But with both behaviors, all we're doing is putting up more and more layers to get through because the longer we continue, the more and more it is that we feel that hurt and that pain and the more that we have to work through in the future. It's interesting. Do you think some of the emotions that we go through depends on who dumped whom? Absolutely. It's a lot easier if you're the one who walked away from a relationship than if someone walked away from you. Do you think sometimes it's more devastating for the male than it is the female? Is a part of it ego? Yes. I think that a lot of times when um, a, a female dumps a guy, the guy, it's definitely an ego blow. I think there's this feeling of inadequacy. And often you will see guys, if they do talk about it, they're questioning why they weren't good enough. Often you'll see a lot of men look at themselves and say, well, I was the nice guy. I did everything right. I gave her everything. And then they think that they're supposed to be this bad guy or they're searching for something that makes them inadequate and not good enough for that person versus acknowledging and realizing that they are good enough. It's just they were probably with the wrong person. Okay, if you're wondering why I'm asking Kimberly all these questions, because Kimberly is a dating coach. And Kimberly, what is that? What is a dating coach? So what I do with my clients is I help them break through the barriers and roadblocks that are standing in their way from having the dating and relationship life it is that they want. So my approach is I help my clients gain clarity for what it is that they want in their life and identify the obstacles that are standing in their way and help them assess and build their skills and behaviors as well as implement strategies that will help them not only in their dating life, but also have a more fulfilling life as well. So a lot of times what I tell people is if you want to get in shape or live a healthier lifestyle, a lot of times people go to the gym and hire a personal trainer. When people want to have a better dating life, feel more fulfilled, and enjoy dating again, they go out and they find a dating coach. <laughs> Are you sort of like, I don't remember the name of the movie. There was a movie where Will Smith, I believe it was. Pitch. Pitch, yeah. Are, are, are you like Pitch? I am like Mrs. Hitch, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so why would someone need a dating coach? People come to me because they are frustrated, they find dating challenging, and they are confused or even the relationships that they are in. And they oftentimes are hindered by their fears and are tired of going it alone. So you become like a, a shoulder for them? I become, I would say, a confidant. I, you know, you mentioned that women a lot of times have friends that they go and they talk to. However, they're oftentimes their friends don't actually come in and lead them and, and bring solutions and help them work through it. I am that friend that they have that actually walks with them through the trenches but helps lead them through gaining clarity and actually working on and developing skills and behaviors that will get them to have the dating life that they are looking for. 
Are your clients more men or women or about the same? They're about the same. See, that I find really, really interesting because if you ask most people, they think, they tell you, you know, uh, women need a dating coach more than men. But yet what I found over the years is that men need that also. They do. And men tend to raise their hand quicker. I think men, um, there's this stereotype or thought process that men um, shy away from coaching or counseling. But because they don't have that social circle that women do, men tend to raise their hand, I think, quicker and are more susceptible. I'm here and we're talking with Kimberly Kohler, who is a dating coach. And Kimberly, you were talking about, I need some clarity on this, that uh, men raise their hand. What does that mean? Men reach out. Men will ask for help um, a lot quicker than, than women. Maybe it's um, not necessarily, maybe quicker isn't the accurate word. However, they do reach a point where they do realize that they no longer want to go, go it alone. And women, as we said before, have a social circle and they can talk about it. And so women, I think, feel as if they are working through their, their um, struggles. Where men, because they don't have that social outlet, they can sit back and they will watch and listen. And they they come to a conclusion, I think, a lot quicker that they want to have help and they need help. And so they will reach out and ask for it. So this is the time of the year that I will see men reach out and ask for help where women are not. And I see that they will be a lot more social on social media and express their frustration and pain. However, guys will be more silent, and they will actually make the phone call or send the email and, and like I said, raise their hand and say, Kim, come help me. Okay, so talk to us about the dating world today. So dating, in comparison to where we have been, um, one of the big things I think about dating is, is just the, the whole pace of our lifestyle in general is moving a lot faster. And because of that, dating is actually competing for our time. And so if somebody is looking for a serious relationship, I believe that a person has to be more deliberate and have more intent with their time and actually make time for dating. Or I think in the past, that wasn't something that was um, that fought for somebody's time. I think that we were more social. We had stronger social um, outlets where now we get very torn between either our family, our friends, or work and the demands of a fast-paced lifestyle. So I think it's important that people understand that if they're wanting to be out there dating, that they're going to have to put the time and energy and effort into dating if they want to take and be successful at it. So why the rise in dating sites? That ties into the fast pace of our lifestyle. So because we are moving so fast and we are not out there socially as much as we were in the past, online dating has given us a convenient vehicle or tool to use to reach out to people, whether it is at 7 o'clock in the morning or over our lunch hour or at 12 o'clock at night when we're getting in from some work function or, or travel. 
we can go online and we can look through other singles that are within our area and community. In the past, you would see that um, a lot of people would marry people within a three-mile radius of their home just based on transportation and access. With online dating, we have access to date people from all over the world, and it's just a more convenient tool that we can use. Interesting. You know, I want to focus on an article that you wrote, a very, very interesting concept. The article you wrote was entitled Seven Behaviors that sabotage your dating efforts. Before we get into the seven things, question for you. Is sabotaging the exception or the rule? I think that when we are afraid, I think that we do things to sabotage ourselves. And so the seven behaviors that I have outlined in this free e-advice are not the full seven behaviors that people exude. However, they are the ones that I see most common and in my clients and in singles I interact with and have conversations with. And so I think it really comes down to fear. And as you know, fear takes and, and has some very interesting effects on our lives. And I think that when we are living our life through fear and we are wanting something but are actually afraid of going to get it, I think that we exude behaviors that sabotage our efforts. Would you say that probably one of the the biggest fears, and I think you already stated this, deals with the fear of feeling rejected? Absolutely. Um, Especially in men. Men have this huge fear of being rejected. And that is oftentimes why they usually have a problem and such anxiety going and approaching women. So one of the biggest questions that I receive, I would say, you know, at least three to four times a week from my clients is, how do I approach a woman? How do I talk to a woman? What they're asking is, is how do I overcome my fear of being rejected? So are you saying that a lot of men when it comes to dating are very insecure? They're insecure, they lack confidence, and they have a low self-esteem. And I would say that that's both a very common thread between both men and women. So once someone has been hurt and that hurt turns to pain... It attacks their self-trust and self-confidence? Yes, which is very hard for them to overcome, which is oftentimes what a lot of my work with my clients, what we end up working on. Is sort of rebuilding their self-esteem? Yes, they're rebuilding their self-esteem, their confidence in themselves, and their trust in themselves. Because a lot of times they're afraid that they're going to get hurt, which is really saying, I'm afraid and I don't trust myself to pick somebody who won't hurt me. You know, it's real interesting because I have a mentoring student that I've worked with. And Kimberly, she is the worst person in the world at picking men for her life because she comes from a life of total pain and rejection, uh, which started with her parents. So she would pick men and then create a program to sabotage their relationship. And it got to be such an issue that uh, before she could date a man, I had to interview him. Having that type of resource 
is very real and needed for some singles. And there have been clients that I have coached that I've had to act as kind of a, a go between and make sure to to make sure that they are picking someone that's going to be healthy for their lives. Um, but also for me, it's really trying to help people gain the confidence and the trust in themselves that they can do it for themselves. I like what you're talking about, especially the fact about trusting their self, because I think pain erodes trust. It does. Okay. So with that as a forerunner, Let's talk about the seven behaviors. Do me a favor, list them for us, and then let's come back and talk about them. What are these seven behaviors? Putting your happiness in the hands of others. Putting your life on hold. Expecting an instant connection. Vomiting your TMI. Moving fast and furious. Making dating a destination and underestimating the power of sex. <laughs> I love these. When I read your article and I got to look at these, some of these, some of them I saw the in-depth psychology to them. Some of them made me smile. A couple of them made me laugh. But I know how serious they are. Let's start with the first one you mentioned, putting your happiness in the hands of others. What's that? A lot of my clients and a lot of the singles that I talk to um, they will talk about they'll be happy when. And a lot of times it's obviously we're talking about dating and relationships. I'll be happy when I meet somebody. I'll be happy when I'm in a relationship. And a relationship isn't going to bring you happiness. It can add, but it's not going to bring you happiness. You have to be happy and feel fulfilled first. If you're thinking that happiness and fulfillment is going to come from a relationship and that your life is going to magically become this this wonderful thing because you have somebody in your life, you are mistaken. And you're going to actually end up attracting people who are going to end up hurting you because you're coming into the relationship as an unhealthy person. Is this one of the fallacies of running around looking for Mr. or Miss Right? I think that the notion of Mr. or Mrs. Right is actually having unrealistic expectations. <laughs> um, you know, it's the Disney World fairy tale that um, we have. Um, but it really comes down to, I think, more of the notion that when we're not feeling fulfilled in our lives and we're single, I think that we, it's easy for us to say, we're, we don't feel fulfilled. We are not happy because we are not with somebody. Okay. Let's look at the second one, and that's putting your life on hold. A lot of times I think that people take and say that, I, you know, I will go travel when I have a partner. Um, I actually have a good friend of mine that I was having a conversation with, and we were talking about um, travel, and he had told me that he absolutely wants to go to Hawaii. And he is absolutely in a position to hop on a plane anytime he wants, but he doesn't want to go without being in a relationship. And I thought to myself, what an absolutely horrible notion because, you know, time, you talk about time being very valuable. And he's putting his life on hold and his life experiences on hold, waiting for someone to come into his life. And I think that that is such a huge, huge mistake because your life is happening now. And waiting for something to come into your life or waiting for something to happen in order for you to live it 
is a huge um, disservice to yourself. And, and I think it's one of a huge travesty that you could do. You have to live your life now. And you have to do the things that you want to do now. And, and be out there and engaging and living and not putting your life on hold because you think somebody's going to come into your life. Hey, he might go to Hawaii and just be walking down the beach and meet her. Absolutely. What a great love story. Yeah, you can just see it. But again, that waiting is a form of paralyzing yourself, is it not? You really are. You're paralyzing yourself, but you're really putting your life on hold. And I personally believe that if you're putting your life on hold, how can you be happy? That's an interesting thought, because happiness comes as you put yourself into adventure, because in adventure, you open up the pathway to opportunity. And it's just like the young boy I was having dinner with last night told him, you've created a cave for yourself, and you're going to stay there long enough that you're going to make it impossible for you to break out of that cave. You need to get out. You need to create a social life for yourself. So last night, we found two really big interests that he has. And so we're trying to open the door to get him out there because he's put his life on hold. On hold. Yeah. I I watched him as he talked, Kimberly, and the depression that was going through him. And I asked him, do you suffer from depression? He said, yes. And it's because he's not fulfilling and being true to himself. Absolutely. And he's, 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 he's withdrawing from life and creating an existence. Yes. And it is very paralyzing and depressing. And so when people, you know, it's hard, I think, for people is when they feel lonely and when they are struggling to meet people, I think their first reaction is to withdraw and hide. And that's understandable. You know, okay, do that for a week or two weeks. But then push yourself and get yourself back out there because that's where you're going to find somebody. That is where you're going to meet somebody. But that's also where life is. And in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled, you need to be engaging in life. We're talking about what I think is a very interesting subject, especially because of our society today and how protective people are from being hurt. And a real part of that goes into dating relationships. And my guest is dating coach Kimberly Kohler. And we're talking about the seven behaviors that sabotage. We've talked about putting your happiness in the hands of others, putting your life on hold. And then Kimberly, number three, expecting an instant connection. Oftentimes, you know, I mentioned earlier the Disney fairy tale. I'm talking about with the instant, expecting an instant connection is it's far too often we think that when we meet somebody, we should feel the butterflies. We should instantly feel connected to them. You know, there should be lights shining from above down on this person, and they are going to be Mr. or Miss Charming. And that's not always the case. You know, it's interesting because, you know, it used to be the question, well, did they make your toes tingle? And I always say the butterflies. Did you get get butterflies in your stomach, and did it make your heart skip a beat? Is that always realistic? It isn't. Is it something that is amazing to experience? Yes. But I do believe that it is something that, you know, some people have it instantaneously. However, I do believe, and I, I talk about that, you know, further down the road here, but I do believe that usually that's more of a chemistry 
And just because you have great chemistry doesn't necessarily mean that you are a great match. So it's being cautious. And if you're just looking for that chemistry and you're just looking for that toe curling or butterfly moment, you're going to take and probably set yourself up to being hurt. So a lot of times what I coach my clients to do is to give a person a chance, give them an opportunity, go on three dates, see what it's like, get to know them. For me, myself, I had gone on a date once with somebody that I had met volunteering. And I thought he was a great person, but I was not physically attracted to him. As our friendship grew, one day, I don't know what we were doing, I turned to look at him and went, oh my gosh, she is absolutely adorably attractive. And it was because I got to know him as a person. And I got to enjoy him as a person. I got to see him for who he was. And I didn't put pressure on myself and I didn't put pressure on him to try making him out to be somebody he wasn't or I wanted him to be. Yeah, I just enjoy the journey of getting to know him. See, and that's important because I think our instant society today doesn't take time to get to know the person. We simply look at the person, and we make so many of our judgments based on the looking at the person. I had a young man tell me the other day that the girl he'd been dating that he broke up with had told him, if you weren't so good looking and so good in bed, I would have kicked you to the curb a long time ago. Again, power of sex. Yeah, we're going to get to that one. Okay, what about uh, vomiting? Vomiting your TMI. What's TMI? Too much information. It's basically your, your oh, okay. information. I oftentimes call it also your dating kryptonite. A lot of times when we go on dates, I think that the nerves can set in. And dating is a skill. And... What ends up happening is is that when the nerves get going, our minds get racing, and sometimes things just start spewing out of our mouth. And what people, part of the skill process is, I call it dating poker. Learning how to play dating poker is very important. And it's not that you're playing games with somebody, but understanding that just because you meet somebody and you go on a date with them does not mean that they need to know right away your entire life story. What's interesting is oftentimes when we're telling people our life story and spend time focusing on the good parts of our life, we end up taking and exposing them to the hurts, the pains, the skeletons in the closet, and vomiting the TMI. And what that does is it overloads the person that you're talking to. They don't know you. They don't have connection with you. So what they hear is drama, pain, and generally, it sends them further health. I have a friend. He's probably my best friend. And he joined one of these dating services where, Kimberly, he paid like $30,000 to belong to it. And they guaranteed him that within your first 12 dates, you would find Miss Wright. And he said he would go out these with these ladies, and all of them were in their late 40s to middle 50s. And majority of them had been traded in by their husbands for a younger model. And he said you'd sit there and you start to have a conversation, and before you would know it, the pain and the anger would just come out. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they just spent their whole time vomiting all over him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says, I don't go on a date to hear this stuff. But I think what you're saying there, uh, too much information is too much information. It is. So what about moving fast and furious? Moving fast and furious goes a lot to the point of wanting an instant connection. 
it's having that moment that you feel those butterflies. You feel that your toes curling. You feel your heart racing. You meet somebody and there definitely is this chemical reaction that you have. And you then have this, you know, euphoric rush and this excitement and you want to be with this person all the time and you're excited about this new person in your life. And uh, oftentimes when people are feeling these feelings, especially if maybe they've been on a dating hiatus or they have been hurt in the past, you know, you want to embrace these feelings and you want to feel them and you want to dive into them. But a lot of times what that does is it races and rushes a relationship. And we make poor judgments during this period of time versus slowing ourselves down and taking the time to enjoy the journey and slowing it down a bit so we can make good choices and healthy choices for ourselves. Because oftentimes if we move too fast, the relationships end very quickly. Why do we make it a race, though? I mean, I have my thoughts on this, but why is it that we make a relationship sometimes a race? Is it because we're desperate? I think it depends on how old you are, first of all. Um, because I think at different points in time in our lives, we are looking for relationships for different reasons. Historically, people who are in their 20s, in their 30s, and depending if they're male or female, they could be looking to get married and have a family. And so depending on where their social circle is and where their friends are, they can actually be looking for a destination. And so they jump and dive into relationships, hoping that it's going to get them to a certain destination. Other times, it could be because we have been hurt and have felt a lot of pain. We decided to jump in, and we have met somebody who is taking and making us feel great. So we are trying to wrap ourselves in that feeling but haven't yet fully healed and dealt with the pains of the past. And so in some ways, yes, we're a little bit desperate to feel good. And so we're kind of doing a cloak and digger, if you will. Kimberly, for that to fulfill us. Yeah. Kimberly, can we make those tingling feelings a misnomer about that being I'm in love with them? Absolutely. Because we, we take them with that cloud or judgment and we can say that we are in love with them. It's a romantic notion. So we think that just because we, we have these feelings towards somebody, also we can make them be Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And we can look past a lot of maybe red flags that we are not identifying. So by slowing ourselves down, we give ourselves the opportunity to really assess and evaluate the person that we are dating and the type of relationship we would be setting ourselves up for. Okay. Uh, Making dating a destination, a sabotaging technique. Making dating a destination, this comes down to, again, saying, you know, I want to be married, so therefore I want to be in a relationship and I want the relationship to get into marriage. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go into dating and and not know what you would like out of a relationship, but sometimes the focus of where you want the relationship to go becomes the focus of the relationship versus actually stepping back and enjoying the relationship itself. I'm sure you have heard and listened to brides talk about the wedding, and many women will plan the wedding, the actual day, and they have everything planned out. Very few take the time to actually think about the marriage, which is what they're going to be in for the rest of their lives. You know, there, there's so much to what you're saying, because when I was on the church staff and uh, I did most of the weddings, if I was to do your ceremony, you had to have uh, four meetings with me. 
the first meeting that I had with the couple, I tried to talk them out of getting married because I, I figured if I could put that doubt, they didn't need to get married. Uh, mm-hmm. The second meeting I would have, I would have with the young lady, and I'd have the guy bring her. And uh, I'd tell him after we chatted, now you leave and come back in an hour. And when he would leave, I would hand her a piece of paper that had four blanks on it, and I asked her, you know, what are the four things you're going to change in him once you get married? And it was amazing because out of those four blanks, most women listed six. And then the third session I had was with the guy, and we would talk about, you know, what does marriage mean to you? What is this you're about to enter into? And then I'd bring the couple back together again, and we would talk about what does it mean to be in love with each other? And what happens when all of a sudden uh, the good turns to the bad and maybe to the ugly? How are you going to handle this? And it's because so many times I think you are so right. They think about the now, but they don't think about the relationship moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the now and moving forward. Or sometimes it's, it's even just, well, what do I want for the future? And they forget about the now. So in, in, in the marriage, it's it's definitely that wedding is that day and they're not thinking about the future. But a lot of times with dating, if you're just walking into it, um, there's a lot of women and a lot of men even who will, after the third date, be demanding that the person is in a relationship with them. And okay, real quick, Kimberly, because we're going to run out of time here in a second. Yeah. I want to get to this last one. Understanding the power of sex. Sex is powerful. And I think that oftentimes as singles, we end up not understanding how powerful it is. If somebody wants a serious relationship, then sex is going to be something that they're going to want to hold off having with somebody for as long as they can because it will cloud their judgment. All of these, we're talking about the fast and furious dating destination. These are things that cloud your judgment in dating. Sex is one of the most powerful um, things that cloud your judgment. I recently had a gal come to me and talk to me and ask me how she can convince a guy that she had been dating, that she had just slept with the night before, who had just told her that day that he wasn't looking for a serious relationship, how she can convince him to be in a relationship with her. And I asked her, well, did you guys have the conversation of what type of relationships you guys are looking for before you slept with him? No, we just have been enjoying each other's company, and we've fooled around a little bit, and it's been fun, and it's been exciting, and the sex was great. Why wouldn't he want to be with me? Yeah, and sex and, sometimes becomes, uh, it becomes, in many ways, it becomes a weapon. It does. And for how much we don't like how fair it is, for men, it is something that once they have it, and they are not committed into the relationship, it's very oftentimes hard for them to commit to the relationship. It is a double standard. However, they very much view and lose respect for the person if somebody seems to be too eager to go to bed with them. Have we made sex something today that has cheapened the experience? Yes. And I believe that the core for guys and, and this is my, this is, I would say that from probably 28 and older, younger guys, no, they have no idea, no clue, and they're all into the pickup artists, sex scenes, that kind of stuff. But for guys who are seriously looking for a relationship, they don't want to have cheap sex. 
Yeah, we want to have. You know, it's really interesting, Kimberly, because we got about a minute left. And uh, one of the things I always hear, you know, uh, I can fool around, but I would never want to cheat on the woman I'm going to marry. Yes. And they don't want to sleep with a woman they want to marry the very first night they meet her or within the first couple of weeks of meeting her. Yeah. I can't thank you enough, Kimberly, for spending time with us today. And I hope that uh, our viewers will reach out to you.